that's old-timey crimey. I am Christy. And I am Amber. And we have one hell of an old-timey murder story to tell you today. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. I mean, the story, it does have everything. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It's got a circus. And a carny. Lots, a couple of carnies, yeah. A couple of carnies. And it's got, uh, there's a lion tamer in there, and uh, infidelity, and, um, oh, guess what? Murder. Hooray! The reason we're all here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My show notes are titled, A Carnival of Murder. Oh, mine's Carney Carnage. Oh, beautiful! I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's excellent. I love it. So, yeah, before we get to the completely wild tale of the... Carnival, carny carnage. Carny carnage. <laughs> the carny carnage. Don't forget about our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. And over there, we have weekly bonus episodes where we talk about, a lot of times about crimes that have been kind of forgotten. I mean, we'll, we'll hit up some of the classics sometimes. But a lot of these crimes are things that you would only find if you were perusing the old newspapers like we do daily. <laughs> Very often. I'm, I'm not going to venture so far as to say I do it daily. Christy does. Uh, I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy it as well. It's just I, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't get the opportunity to as much as I used to. We'll yeah, say. that makes sense. Be- because my job taking a turn to uh, way too many hours <laughs> really is, is why I don't do it as much. I just will randomly be like on the couch watching TV or something. I'll be like, let's uh, let's second screen it and check out the old newspapers. I actually have a second computer set up next to my work computer so that I, I can still like kind of bounce back and forth sometimes. But you know how the ADHD brain works and that doesn't always work out so great. So oftentimes I don't bring it up. <laughs> oh my gosh. This week's case uh, was just rabbit holes. It was all rabbit holes because I was going down the circus freak rabbit hole and I was going down the like animal exhibit rabbit hole and the, you know, racist exhibit rabbit hole. Yeah. And I I think your rabbit holes bore more fruit than mine did because I'd be like, I'm really interested to know what happened here and dead end. So Mm. every rabbit hole I attempted to go down ended up being just almost like a waste of of time because it led me nowhere. Sometimes those rabbit holes can lead to other murders though that we end up like talking about on the the tinies over. True story. Yeah. I actually have a list of tiny rabbit holes that I have found like looking in the old timey newspapers where it's like an article next to the article I'm reading that I'm like, oh, maybe I'll look into that for a possible tiny. And uh, oddly enough, I think that I can't read my own handwriting because some of those, like, I'll write down after reading a really interesting article about a crime, and then I'll never find it again. <laughs> so either I'm writing down the wrong names or I'm misspelling something. I don't know what I'm doing. It's literally like, I know I read this, I wrote down the name, and now it doesn't exist. So maybe I'm losing it. <laughs> yeah, I need to start an actual, like, 
file of ones I've run across in the newspaper because I've been like clipping them and stuff and I just have stuff in random places. But anyhow, this is not a show about Chrissy's file organization habits. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I know you're surprised, but uh, $5 a month over at the Patreon and you can both support the show and enjoy tons of episodes. We don't just have the um, current episodes, but there's the whole, you know, going back way to the beginning of when we first got on Patreon. So it's it's... Well over a hundred shows. Lots and lots of good stuff over there. Yes, yes. We've, we have had so much fun. I think one of the things about the, the old tiny crimeys that we do over there is that unlike here where it's independent research, each of us doing our own on the same case, over there I get to surprise you and you get to surprise me. So yeah, I'm, so I'll tell Christy a story that she's never heard before, and she is basically my audience as I tell her about something brand new. And yeah, so I get to like hear about something, a case I didn't know anything about before, and or if it's my week to present, I get to tell you about a case. So I think that that aspect of it is really fun for both of us. Yeah, and they're also, they're, they're shorter, they're sweeter, they're sometimes feel good. I've, I know I've done a feel good tiny I, I know that you are looking at me like I'm crazy, but there is a such thing as feel-good crime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know I've done one or two that had some feel-good moments, like, um, or just people that we admire from history, but who did crimes, or, you know, people who... Hey, you know what? Sometimes to be a badass, you gotta do crimes. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. So... Uh, should we talk about some carny crime? We should talk about some carny crime. Okay, all right, absolutely. Let's do this. All right, so we are going to be talking about Honest John Brunin. And this is one I checked, and I didn't see anything on Spotify with uh, his name or any of the other names related to the case, so I'm pretty sure that this is one that you're not going to find in very many other places, if at all. Woohoo! So it is quite the case. All right, so I want to start by talking a little bit about carnivals in the late 19th, early 20th century. They were, you, there was nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, you could like take your stick and then have another stick between them. So you have two sticks and a stick in between and you could just bounce it back and forth between the sticks. But that was pretty much it as far as entertainment was concerned. That is a really fun game though, the toggle sticks where you have like the three sticks. That is actually kind of fun. But when it's your only leisure activity, um, it would get boring. You, you need more. Yeah, you need more. So um, since the, 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 the toggle sticks were getting a little stale, the, you know, people got together carnivals that would travel from town to town, and they had a lot of the stuff that we associate with a carnival, you know, there's, like, circus-type stuff, there's rides, um, and, uh, then there's, they had some stuff like, uh, Mabel Max Comedy Mule Circus. Oh! <laughs> that was one of the choice exhibits from carnivals in my research that I found. Uh, Doss, the man who grows. It's another one. Uh, grows where? <laughs> oh, yeah. Good question. Okay. Uh, standing. Because I know a lot of men that can do that trick. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the majority of them who are young and healthy. Um, standing six feet, two inches in his stocking feet, this human telescope performs the seemingly impossible physical feat of growing to the height of eight feet before your eyes. So he stretches. He stretches. That's a lot of feet. There's six feet, two inches, physical feet, and eight feet. I was like, how much How much do I have to say feet here? Yeah, well, he just put his arms above his head. He's like, ha-ha, eight feet. <laughs> <laughs> Worship me, peasants. There was baby determination, the infant prodigy. 
some of these I have to admit I wasn't able to find anything on because they're they only showed up um, in like advertisements for carnivals. Well, and the infant prodigy probably grew up very quickly, so it was a limited time deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Dad Lozier, premier bone soloist. Oh, yeah. I've known some men who were bone soloists. Too. I worked at a, a bar that specialized in men that were uh, bone specialists. <laughs> and uh, the Gaylor brothers, who were the human frogs, which I believe they were contortionists, as far as I could tell. They could probably do a convincing ribbit. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> ribbit. My foot's behind my head now. I almost said my foot's behind my leg, but that doesn't work. And so these are some of the examples of exhibits that weren't in the category of wildly racist, which a lot of that was. Yes. Yeah. Um, and very exploitative. Uh, so a few years before the main events of this case, you could go to a carnival, not the one that we're talking about, but a carnival in Alabama to celebrate KKK Day. Oh, man. Why didn't we light Alabama on fire? That should have been done right about that time. When when that happened, people should have looked at each other and been like, you know, I think it's time to light it on fire. And it gets worse because one of the games at carnivals, and not uh, just on KKK Day, oh no, was African Dodger. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. There's another name for it that I'm not going to no. say. Uh, that is where a, uh, a black man or boy poked his head out through a sheet with a hole cut in it. And people paid to throw things at him. Are you serious? Killed one man in 1908 when a baseball team attended the carnival. Oh, holy shit. So, uh, we, I know that we love history and we love talking about history, but history definitely has some really ugly, really dark spots. And this is a perfect example of it. This is, this is absolutely like bleak, grim shit. Where it's people going to entertain themselves by throwing rocks and baseballs at another human being. You know what, though? I will say this. If we could have the politicians put their head through the holes in the sheets, I would enjoy it very much. That would, that would, be, that would work. <laughs> but it's never the people who have the most power in society. It's always the people who have the least. Yes. So, yeah, those are the ones. And it's pretty impressive that there was one editorial in a newspaper that was damning the game that I just referred to, whose name I'm not going to say again. <laughs> um, published in 1913, it came out against the game, but also still managed to be incredibly racist. In 1913. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure they can feel the baseballs being thrown at their heads. Oh, terrible. So, uh, there was also one, like, really exploitative shit. Um, the Geek Act. Have you heard of this? No. This is where someone chased chickens around a ring and then caught one, bit off its head, and swallowed it. You had to swallow the head? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm How many people choked and died? Um, there were a couple things that claimed that the Geek Acts didn't actually swallow it. They just, like, did a little sleight of hand thing. Yeah, there's no way you could swallow a chicken head whole. Yeah, yeah, no, so, but there are also snake heads and rat heads. Again, no way you could <laughs> swallow that whole. 
A like, snake head. Well, I don't want to think about that. That's gross. No, That's even horrifying. well, depending, and I brought it up. <laughs> depending on the type of snake, I suppose. Like if it was like a little garter snake, yeah, you could. Yeah, we can. It we can stop now. We can stop now. <laughs> no more. I feel like I'm going to start gagging any second now. Well, there is actually make good audio. There is actually a delicacy, and I believe it's in Japan, and it is a live squid or octopus that you swallow whole, but you have to swallow it a very specific way. And if you hesitate or it turns, it can suction to your windpipe and kill you. And people, like, go to do this on purpose. I do not understand why you would do that. But I guess, like, for some people, it's like a thrill. I don't want to swallow alive anything. And to, to me and you, that's very much that element of danger involved in food is very much like, oh, why don't you go eat a bunch of lemons? You know, why don't I swallow like a whole container of cinnamon? <laughs> right, yeah. So I just, I, I don't understand. Although I will admit that on uh, the sixth day of my 21st birthday, I was apparently drunk enough to eat a lemon. And thus ended the birthday week early because I ate a lemon and uh, did did not go well. No, no, I can imagine it wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they they would do this. This was um, in addition to being animal abuse. Uh, it is exploitative because usually payment for the geek, as the person was called, uh, was in drugs and alcohol because they tended to hire addicts for this particular act. So but you know, that's nice. I, I don't consider myself an addict, but I might do something not so far as that, but I would chase a chicken around the ring in, for payment in booze, probably. You did, for no payment whatsoever, while drunk, eat a lemon. I did, yes. As just discussed. So. Yes. <laughs> all right. So that is all the very entertaining. I had so much fun looking at carnival stuff. Oh, my God. I've, I've got a new hobby and a new fascination, and it's like turn-of-the-century carnivals. It's This is going to turn into something. This is already right. turning into something. I've already got a book list, <laughs> and I've got plans. Things are simmering in my little head. And I, don't, I don't know if I should be excited or terrified, uh, or both. Column A, column B, put them together. Okay. That is I'm not totally that. <laughs> we clap when we make a mistake so I can easily see it on the waveform. And now I'm going to see that and, and hopefully not delete this part. Um, so, all right, let's talk about Honest John now that we've talked about carnivals because Honest John owned a carnival. He did indeed. So, he was born in 1874. This is his backstory as given to the Coshocton, Ohio Tribune. So, and I believe it was him giving the backstory. So just with that in mind, maybe like a bucket or two of salt with all of this. So, born at sea on a whale ship of which his father was captain, he had been around the world before he reached the age of 10. Coming to the United States in 1886, he enlisted in the Marines and was the first American soldier to put foot on Chinese soil during the Boxer Uprising in 1900. Returning to America, he entered upon a mining expedition into Arizona, which was unsuccessful. He was present at the building of the Panama Canal in charge of a gang of <clears throat> laborers from the West Indies. It was here that he gained the sobriquet of Honest John on account of his square dealings with people. I actually have a different backstory for how he got the Honest John. Well, hang on a second, because I've got some more. I just was pausing because I keep on running into the old-timey N-word. 
and having to replace it with clearing my throat or, um, yes, yes, non dehumanizing words. So, uh, went broke in the cattle business in Mexico, got a fresh start in life operating a shooting gallery at Coney Island. About seven years ago, he landed the, launched the Mighty Doris shows, which at that time consisted of a merry-go-round in one show. But by perseverance, he became successful until he now stands at the head of the ladder and is recognized as one of the leading exposition managers in America. So, yeah, now what does your report have? Because I have, like, his whole, like, much simpler story, but... Well, yeah, because the, the I have that the Honest John came because he actually refused to allow any games of chance at his carnival, not because of anything to do with his personality. Yeah. <laughs> and he honestly probably just didn't want to deal with angry people because the ring doesn't fit around the bottle. Yeah. Yeah, because everything is rigged. So other sources report uh, a different, very simplified story. Born in Germany, came to America in his teens, started his career at Coney Island, then hooked up with some traveling carnivals and saw the U.S. that way. They omit, oddly enough, the Marines, the Boxer Uprising, the Arizona Mining, the Panama Canal, and the cattle business. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, he decided to, uh, one way or the other, he did buy, a, you know, a stake in a show. It was the Colonel... Ferrari's Trained Wild Animal Show. So uh, I did a little digging on this Colonel Francis Ferrari. In addition to his wild animal show featuring hybrids like a tiger-jaguar mix, allegedly, and also other attractions like the human butterfly, he had uh, Bertini the Wonder, who ascends and descends a spiral tower 50 feet high on a unicycle. Okay. And the world's largest organ. Um. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, sometimes I include things just for the joke. This, was this information necessary? No. But I got to say that uh, one of the exhibits at Colonel Ferrari's uh, Wild Animal Show was the world's largest organ. <laughs> so it's how, worth it. <laughs> how, how many people did it take to play it? <laughs> I wonder if there was a bone soloist around <laughs> There probably was. <laughs> oh, dear. We're it's a gonna, duet. We're going to end up with a subtitle that gets the episode kicked off YouTube. Um, so, Honest John was married and had a daughter, Elizabeth Hazel, in 1906. But just three years later, he found a new love, Doris Moore. He was 35 and she was 21. The Daily News calls her pretty and plump. Pretty much every single newspaper took pains to call her plump. And also, many newspapers really took pains to mention that she wore too much lipstick. <laughs> well, so I actually found a source that said she was a former Broadway chorus girl. Uh-huh. So she was probably quite the looker, but I feel like, especially if you're on a Broadway stage, and you know this just from being in, like, plays and things... You have to wear heavy makeup yeah. on stage so that people can see it from far away. Mm -hmm. And so she might have just got in that habit of putting on the heavy lipstick yeah. so that her, her mouth could be seen from stage. Yeah, that's entirely possible, especially, yeah. Um, and I, I had another source that said that she was actually in his circus before they married. She was a performer in the circus. I wouldn't be surprised. And heavy makeup, clowns aside, 
probably is. <laughs> same same idea though. If you're yeah. in the middle of the circus, you want to you want to stand out as and you want people to be able to see your expressions and everything. Yeah. yeah. So the circus then became the Colonel Ferrari and Mighty Doris combined shows. So he named it after his wife, Mighty Doris. I wonder if she. I wonder if that was her name as a performer. Well, and so I, I saw that her dad actually had a circus, and and he got his circus bigger by joining with her father's circus. Uh huh. And that's why it had to be. Doris in the name. Oh, okay. I did not see that. I missed that. That's why we do independent research. So, and actually her father's carnival was called Mighty Doris. Oh, okay. All right. So there's this idea that he named it after his wife, but really her father named it after his daughter. Yeah, and he may <laughs> have... the same person. He may have fallen in love quite quickly to double the size of his circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some men do love to double the size of their circus. Maybe the biggest organ came from Mighty Doris and not from his own, so he had to... <laughs> he really wanted that world's largest organ. Oh, wait, important. no, his circus had the world's largest organ. Maybe he needed the bone soloist. Yeah, maybe. There you go. I flipped it around. So promotional materials called the carnival the largest carnival in the world, but it was not. One article about another carnival said it had a 32 car show so that it took 32 train cars to transport it from place to place and Ringling Brothers was 100 cars so Mighty Doris had a 20 car setup double cars I guess so but I don't know if, if all the circuses use double cars but even still that would only put it at like 40 cars yeah it's still much less than the Ringling Brothers but it's <laughs> not it's not Small. It, it's not some rinky dink operation. No, it's no. not like our local jubilees. It's, yeah. it's bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, in one newspaper, there, what I imagine is probably um, some PR from the carnival itself. It said it quote ranks as an aristocrat among outdoor amusement enterprises, assembled by a master showman. Every little thing about it represents the most advanced ideas in entertainment, and it may very properly be called a carnival deluxe. In appearance, it has none of the temporary here-today-gone-tomorrow aspect common to many outfits. The midway visitor sees, on the other hand, a group of imposing attractions suggesting the amusement places that one might see at big resorts like Atlantic City and at World's Fairs. Pretty nifty. Mm -hmm. Speaking of nifty, let's talk about some of the highlights of this particular show. I just love You're obsessed. I really am. So there was Princess Alice, better known as the Blonde Beauty, and her group of trained lionesses. I just love it. Who goes in that? Who's like, oh, yes, lion taming. That sounds like a good career. I should do that. I'm all for that. I'm actually thinking it's a ballsy decision to go for the lionesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right, yeah. Because they are the ones that are like hunt and kill more than the males. Like, I, I am a little surprised by that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I admire it. It's just, I don't, I don't see how you get from A to B, A being existing in this world and B being a lion tamer. <laughs> like, I don't just want to see the, I don't, I don't understand the path and I'd like to understand, I'd like to understand it. So uh, one newspaper said, the only lady in the world that would dare to attempt doing the wonderful act she does with those bloodthirsty beasts 
as she takes her life in her hands when she enters the big steel arena. Then there's Captain Purchase, the daredevil of all animal trainers. He will, for your special benefit, fight the worst lion in ca captivity each and every night. The article adds that this particular lion had killed one trainer the previous winter, so this is a must-see. And one thing you might see there is blood, apparently. Uh, Billy Parsons with more trained big cats. Grace Roberts, the girl who flirts with death, doing a daring slide for life, an act no other woman would dare to attempt. This article is really repetitive. Every no single, other woman would dare. Yeah, every single thing that the women are doing, is, is the, they're the only woman in the world who would attempt such a feat. Um, Happy Jack, the 700-pound man. And a few rides as well, or riding devices, as the riding ads put devices. it. Riding devices. <laughs> Now, rides and riding devices, very different things. Mm -hmm. One of those has a bone soloist. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh, including a $10,000 carry-us-all Ferris wheel, a freak show, an athletic show, a Russian theater, and your usual carnival fair. Now, there were some tales of romance that came out of the carnival. An article out of uh, Charleston, Missouri in 1915 tells of a marriage between Benny G. Brown, chief electrician for the carnival, and Emma M. Stevens, billed as the world's smallest woman, also of the carnival. He was 5'6", and she was 31 inches. Yep. She may have been the smallest for real. Uh, Princess Pauline, a.k.a. Pauline Musters, was found to be 23.2 inches and died of pneumonia at age 19 in 1895. And Guinness's next record for shortest person wasn't recorded until 1955, and that was 31 inches. So she might have actually been. Like, I don't believe a lot of what they say. Yeah. But uh, that might be true. Uh, her... And meanwhile, her five foot six husband feels like a giant and a king. <laughs> yes, yes. And. and she has company, too. She, she came to the marriage with a son from a previous marriage. She'd been widowed. And he was 27 inches at age 12. Yes, because, oh, my God, how could you push out a... Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. How, how do... How would you carry a full-size baby to term? Yeah, that doesn't seem possible. I need to know what the physics are in this pregnancy. <laughs> Amber really needs... The lowdown on uh, carrying a pregnancy of a full-sized human when you are one of the smallest people in the world. 31 inches. That's, that is less than three feet. Like, how? Hmm, how? Yeah. I, I, she's my new hero. <laughs> well, her, no, her son was, he was 27 inches at age 12. So he was But he too. was still a, like, a, but like the, so like, I, I've been pregnant. And, I mean, that would take up from her neck to her toes. Yeah, you're right about that. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand either. That's a rabbit hole I will be going down later. <laughs> I would be interested to hear what you come up with. So, there's love and, and, you know, romance in the air on the carnival, but there's also murder. Of course there is. It's carnies. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, on July 13th, sorry, on July 30th, 1916, the Mighty Doris show was in Mount Carmel, PA. Uh, we have been to Mount Carmel recently. The Harold Israel case. He was born and lived in Mount Carmel. 
So it just keeps on popping up. This is weird and unplanned. I didn't, this didn't mesh, but maybe, you know, it's entirely possible that Harold Israel at some point went to uh, the carnival. <laughs> Road trip. Yeah. So that's near Shemokin, Frackville, Clingerstown, Paxino, Numidia, and Orwigsburg. What the hell is going on on the east side of this state? There's a lot of fun names, and I actually know all of them because I used to, to book court reporters out there. Like Numidia? That sounds like um, if Numidia yeah. mutated. <laughs> Numidia! <laughs> Don't get any of that old chlamydia. Try our new numidia. It's, it's like the, yeah, it's, it's the not, next monkeypox. It's not just the clap. It's a standing ovation. <laughs> okay, I think I've peaked. Numidia. I think I've peaked and um, I'm going to go out with uh, that particular bang. All right, guys, that's it for the night. Who would have guessed it would be a chlamydia joke? <laughs> So anyhow, all right. Yeah, it's just that I was looking at, her at the area and I was like, what is happening? What are these? Orwigsburg? I'm yeah. going to have to look up all of these. And this is my next rabbit hole. Find out where the hell the names come from. I mean, I guess out here we have Culver and Revlock, which... Is Culver backwards. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, because we ran out of names, so we just started flipping the letters backwards. <laughs> yeah, right. So... um, Yes, at the end of a week engagement with uh, the, the Mighty Doors show in Mount Carnival. Mount Carnival? Jesus Christ. Sure, sure. Mount Carnival. I like they it. They renamed it after they left. It was so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, it was less wonderful than you think. So, was was particularly unwonderful for one unlucky person. So, the, the carnival had run for a week, and uh, Honest John Brunin shot a guy. He shot 21-year-old Frank Pug Svitsky through the heart. So here is how this went down. Everybody was tearing down and packing up, getting ready to pack everything on the trains and get the hell out. Uh, the show had a contract with the Edison Electric Illuminating Company for the general lighting of the area. Now, the lights were to be put out at midnight Saturday, but as the workmen were going around getting ready to do that, the carnies asked them to keep the lights on for just, you know, five, ten more minutes, make it easier to pack up. They ended up leaving the lights on until 1 a.m. And then the foreman from Edison, whose name was Jack Cunningham, he went to go shut them off. He said that the carnival people were taking the wires down by accident while they were pulling down the tents. And he didn't want somebody to be electrocuted, which makes sense yeah especially as like the foreman that's his job to make sure nobody dies exactly yeah kind of kind of important so he shut off one light at the transformer and everyone seemed okay then he went to the second transformer and honest john brunin stopped him said he wanted the lights to burn until dawn the thing is it seems like you know it should have been okay because there were service lights that were going to stay on for the the teardown 60 200 watt lights that should do the job yeah you'd think yeah then they started arguing over the contract and about who would go get the contract to prove that he was right and then brunin backed up against the light pole pulled out a gun and said he would blow off the head of the first man who went up the pole jack cunningham was like i'm gonna call your bluff so he went towards the pole honest jack gave him a push that knocked cunningham off balance and as he stumbled, Honest John shot at him. Behind 
Cunningham was another lineman, Wilmon Kaiser, and near him was Frank Spitsky. Because Cunningham stumbled, the bullet missed him. It grazed Wilmon Kaiser, and it got Frank Spitsky right through the heart. Spitsky clasped both hands over his heart, walked about ten steps, and then collapsed, falling on his face. Blood spurted from the wound over the heart, and as he breathed, the blood could be heard gurgling in his throat, reported the newspaper. So someone punched Honest John. Honest John then escaped behind the tent. Cunningham went and grabbed the chief of police. There was a brief manhunt, but nobody could find Honest John. Although, they had a theory. Uh, after the shooting, the fellow had made his way to the western ends of the ground, and it was supposed he had been hid in one of the many big trunks that were standing about, ready to be hauled to the, to the, ready to be hauled to the train. Which is just like... I'm picturing, like, a full-size man getting into, like, a little footlocker. <laughs> that's, that's what, yeah. that, I know it says one of the many big trunks. I'm choosing to edit that in my head to be funny. <laughs> so I actually have a very large steamer trunk at my house that was my, uh, it was, it was from, like, a descendant of the family, like, around this time frame when she came over from Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm immediately thinking of that. And not only could I fit in that, I could probably take two of my kids in with me. Yeah, it was very likely more you know, something more along the lines of a steamer trunk. But uh, my way's funnier. Yeah, your way is way funnier. Because <laughs> little did anyone know, Honest John, also a contortionist. <laughs> he was a human frog. <laughs> Ribbit. Ribbit. So uh, they searched the trunks. They didn't find him. They looked around. And meanwhile, some other men loaded Frank Spitsky into a car, took him to a doctor, but he was dead by the time they got there. 21 years old. He was a carpenter and was survived by his parents and three sisters. Now, this was a hopping night in Mount Carnival. <laughs> because there had also been a fire at the National Hotel about 45 minutes before the shooting. Really keeping people busy here. Uh, so there were lots of boys and men there checking out, you know, the fire when they heard about the shooting. So then they went to the carnival grounds and it seemed like they weren't really with the purest of intentions. Quote, it was feared that lynching would be attempted if the man was found at the grounds. So there's some concern there. Then some of the circus folk told the police to go check the Elmore Hotel where Honest Jack, Jim, Jack, Honest John. It, I literally have H.J. because I was just typing like abbreviations. And it, his name just flew right out of my fucking head. Alright. Where Honest John. It's right up in the title, Christy. It's in the title of the file. Honest John Brunin. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Honest John was waiting to turn himself in at the Elmore Hotel. They grabbed him and took him to jail. Now, he had a different story. He said he'd been hit in the face and kicked in the groin, or as they, some newspapers put it more delicately, in the abdomen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, a little south of that. And, quote, he walked with great pain when being taken to the lockup. His hat was broken in front, and he had a fresh wound on the forehead, which looked as though he had been hit with a blunt, blunt instrument. And that's from the Mount Carmel, sorry, Mount Carnival item. Bruised, collar torn, and when he was examined, he was found to be injured, 
Of course, there was the question of who actually did the injuring. Yeah, because he easily could have just gone and, like, bashed himself off of some things and then been like, everything hurts, they tried to kill me. Yeah, there were also claims that his own employees had done it. In order to convince him to do as they advised and get off the carnival grounds, I think more like he said, hit me, make it look rough, so that my shooting seems somewhat justified, even though it's not. And his employees said also that he carried a lot of cash at the end of the show, and they were worried he'd be robbed. It was close to $2,000. He was also concerned about this. And so this article in the Mount Carnival item about this said, The conservative person then asks the question, Why did he try to shoot Jack Cunningham? If he was afraid he would be robbed if the service lights were turned off, it is said he should have asked in a gentlemanly manner for the lights to have been left on. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's pretty easy easy to criticize a guy who shot a 21-year-old. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> yes, that is, um, well, fish in a barrel. <laughs> like, it's just such a bizarre thing. Like, obviously, yes, he should have asked nicely instead of shooting people. Yes, that, that is the obvious choice. Yeah, one would hope, at least. <laughs> if you're choosing between asking nicely and shooting someone... Hmm, I mean, on the one hand, if I ask nicely, I'm a good human being. But if I shoot a person, then I get to shoot a person. This is a tough call, guys. I don't know. Big decisions. Big decisions. Tough ones. Tough. So the Mount Mount Carnival item finishes its recitation of the tragic events. Quote, the final act at the Mighty Doors show was a feature that will be a lasting farewell. Perhaps it needed a crime of the first magnitude to convince this town peop- that carnivals are no good for the town. It is terrible to realize, though, that it had to be a murder and that the victim should be a young townsman. Pastors have prayed and have pleaded with their carn- congregations to stay away from carnivals. Good parents have forbidden their children to go to them. The newspapers tried so repeatedly to persuade the authorities to act that the useless task was given up in despair. Our people have had a bitter lesson. We wonder if they require another. They are extra as hell over in Mount Carnival. They are. They are. And that's okay. I like extra. Extra is fun. Yes. So in a shocking turn of events that only really is a good prediction of other stuff to come, the police let happy, honest John No more abbreviations. No more abbreviations. Happy Jack. (laughs) Happy Jack. Honest John. They let Honest John have a three-day leave from jail. He got to go on leave from jail to go take care of circus business. Because he wasn't going to be around to, you know, be in in charge of it. So it needed to be, he sold some parts off. Other parts he sent to their winter quarters, even though it was August now. Uh, Others went off to other carnivals, including Doris and their daughter. So, well, his daughter, technically. So yeah, this was, I just, you don't see most people get leave out of jail, even the, in the old timey times. Yeah. To go and, and take care of their business. Hints of things to come. He pled not guilty. The trial was not so cut and dry. There were witnesses helping out both sides with conflicting stories, including one witness saying he'd seen Cunningham kick Honest John, and he'd seen Svitsky hit Honest John in the left temple. And of course, other witnesses 
contradicting those statements. Several witnesses said John was groggy with pain from the kick to the groin and only fired as he sank to the ground, probably by accident. And I'm like, you know. <sighs> no. Honest John took the stand in his own defense, and now suddenly Cunningham had hit him on the head with pliers. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is a, this is a big fish story, and the fish just keeps getting bigger. Uh, before someone kicked him in the groin and other people punched him in the head, he also claimed to be missing a diamond stick pin and two to three hundred dollars after the supposed melee. Which, if he was carrying like two thousand dollars, could they just like grab his wallet and be like, okay, one hundred, two hundred, three hundred? That's all I'm taking. <laughs> Unless he had like money in every pocket. Maybe, yeah. Or it fell out of his pockets, you know. I mean, I guess he could have claimed that all of his money was missing. He said on the stand, when asked about the murder, they tell me I shot a man. I don't remember pulling the gun, but I must have done so. Well, yes. I had the gun in my pocket. I must have been unconscious when I did it. I suffered great pain. I was led away from the pole by one of my sh the showmen. My shirt was torn, my pants almost pulled off, and there was a cut in my right arm. When I got to the town hall, I discovered that some of my money was missing. Few things here. <laughs> I know that's just this is just a word usage thing, but you, I assure you, you were not unconscious when you shot someone. Why were his pants down? That's my next one. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why his pants would be almost pulled off. Shirt torn, okay, but was somebody yanking down his pants? What the he what the hell happened? Yeah, what kind of fight was this? Ah, it was. They were trying to uh, get his. Uh, this is what prison is going to be like for you. You didn't bring the largest organ. <laughs> in the world, so we must see your... Oh, God. I have no idea. Very strange. I better know where he's hiding the money, guys. Take off his pants. <laughs> he claimed that he only carried the gun that night because he'd been warned that Mount Carnival was a bad town, and Saturday night was the night he collected the money, and also he carried money to pay for the railroad transportation. He also stated that he needed um, the gun... <sighs> Because some of the animals would get angry when being transferred to their shipping containers. So so he needed the gun to shoot the animals. Yes. Because they didn't want to get into teeny tiny dark, you know, cages and be tossed on a train. Um, yeah, a lot of animal abuse in the circuses. I'm sure this is not news to anybody. But when you like really start to think about the stuff that we don't see behind the scenes. Well, that's why they don't do a lot of the stuff anymore. Yeah, thank God. I mean, Jesus. The jury was out one hour. Oh, one thing I wanted to say was, I don't think it's a very good idea to say when you're on trial for a murder in a town that you're not from, that you were carrying a gun because the town has a bad reputation. Because, <laughs> you know, do you know where the jury is from? That town. <laughs> but if it's accurate... Yeah. Then they're going to be like, all right, yeah, no, I can see that. I got mugged on the way here, in yeah. fact. So, like, if it was, like, an honest thing where it's just kind of like a rough neighborhood, the jury very well could be like, yeah, yeah, all right. They could be like, yeah, yeah, I see it. I know. And especially if, like, 10 out of 12 jurors are armed currently, <laughs> they'll be like, no, nah, he's, he's got the right idea. Which, it's, uh, it's pencil talky, so. It is. Probably. 
Yeah, it's definitely, it's just, it just to me, it seems like, it's like, don't insult the jury. But maybe they were like, yeah, yeah, I get robbed like every single night. I swear to God. <laughs> People keep on telling me to like lock my doors or something, but you know. Like there, there are certain neighborhoods around here that I would, I feel better if I have some sort of weapon on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie about it. Like there's definitely those towns that you get a little nervous in. Mm-hmm. We've seen some shit around here. Yeah. We've seen some shit. I moved because I saw some shit one time. <laughs> I was like, I am done with this neighborhood. I am moving elsewhere. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can get it can get a little rough in places. You ever see a meth head fight the tricycle man? <laughs> that is one of the most Johnstown statements, actually. So, yeah, yeah. If if Mount Carnival is is actually kind of like a bad reputation town, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> uh, we're from here. <laughs> we're not far. Nope. We understand. And we can acknowledge. Yeah. So. All right. Anyhow, I just thought that was funny. Uh, how long was the jury out, Amber? Any guesses? Or do you know? One hour. One hour. And he was acquitted. His wife, Doris, of course, and daughter, Elizabeth Hazel, had been there for the trial. But actually, apparently, they thought the verdict would take longer than that. And so they were, like, at a park across the street waiting for the jury. The jury reconvenes, gives their verdict, and they actually met Honest John on his way out of the courtroom, a free man. And they're like, oh, shit. All right. And uh, this, this, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Guess we know what the verdict is. (laughs) Spoilers. You're walking free. You're not in handcuffs being hauled off to prison. Uh, apparently, and this, this should clear some things right up for all of us, scores of, quote, prominent lodge men mm-hmm. came to his hotel that night to congratulate him because he was a fellow lodge man, a member of the Elks and the Masons. So, um, that's apropos nothing. I have no reason to tell you that. Um, it has no bearing on anything. It certainly, I'm sure, didn't influence anything. Hey, old-timey, crimey fans. If you're enjoying this story, you'll love what we've got going on over on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we give our beloved patrons five bonus episodes every month for just $5 a month. There you'll find content like our series on the Aurora murderers, when a still to this day unknown killer roamed the streets of Aurora, Illinois, bludgeoning women in churchyards and cemeteries. As well as our weekly bonus episodes where we talk about stuff like the Halloween lesbian murder and London's all-female gang, the 40 Elephants. And then there's our monthly extra extras where we each bring a case the other hasn't heard of yet with a theme like murder ballads, murders involving weapons from Clue, or Amber's favorite, fire! So come on over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey for over 150 bonus episodes and new ones coming every week. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Do it. (laughs) Nice. It's also rather upsetting that in this, in his own hometown newspaper, Frank Svitsky, his family is not mentioned in the article on the verdict. Were, were they there? Were they home? 
did uh, did anybody try to interview them? Did you pick up the phone and call them? They didn't have enough money to matter. Yeah, right? Exactly. So, yeah, that's there's there's a lot that feels um dirty there. Just going to say that. And the carnival was back in action by the following spring. It seems like it might have settled semi-permanently, um, or at least longer than usual, as an exposition in Pittsburgh for a while, or uh, maybe just putting on shows in that general area. There was much less publicity than previously, but then in 1918, it ramped back up. They did a lot of uh, advertising for employees in the Pittsburgh papers, even before this. So, like, the, the, the Pittsburgh newspapers would have, you know, like, anything from you know, electricians or whatever that they were, the carnival was searching for to um, ladies uh, from East Asia. (laughs) So, uh, because there was a lot of that. Some fun exhibitions were added. Here we go again. (laughs) King Alcyonia, the Wonder Horse of America. I don't know what's special about him. Uh, except that he has a human brain, apparently. <clears throat> I'm sure. It's a horse? Uh-huh. Okay. King Alcyonia. I bet it does the math. Yeah, yeah, it must do math. Then there's Nervo, diving from uh, a height of 120 feet in the air through hoops of fire into a shallow tank of water. And Trip, the Armless Wonder. He Trip. The armless trip, the armless wonder. Trip, the armless wonder. That it, sounds like a command, like kick me. <laughs> and trip. He, that actually, he was born Charles Trip. Okay, so he actually came with that name. So, a uh, trip, the armless wonder, used his feet to do everyday tasks uh, like taking photos, shaving, painting portraits, and was skilled in carpentry and calligraphy. Okay, this man can do calligraphy with his feet. I love it. Uh, he also rode a tandem bike with Eli Bowen, the legless wonder. This is all um, <laughs> so horrifying. It's something. I mean, the dude was able to support his family from like his teenage years. So there is that. Um, it seemed like, you know, he enjoyed this. But man, it just is so like gross that you know we're we're taking people and literally calling them freaks and displaying them for everybody to marvel at and laugh at and it's just it's very dehumanizing and othering i feel uh which is just basically like a lot of carnival shit yeah (laughs) a lot of carnival carnival shit so so the circus um at that point in time was wintering in homewood outside of pittsburgh but sometime in the next couple years, they moved their winter headquarters to Williamstown, New Jersey, and got a house in Riverside, a little ways up the road. Now, this move could have had to do with a fire in their Homewood buildings in February 1918. In fact, 1918 was a hell of a year for the circus. <laughs> there was a lot going on. One guy lost a foot and ankle after being run over by a train. Um... Like an an employee of the circus. Yeah, he's very lucky that's all he lost. Really, yeah. Yeah. And then he got to be part of one of the Mm sideshows. Probably. Another guy um, 
was shot in the leg during a craps game. And then he was taken to the hospital. And at 4 a.m., he escaped out the hospital window so that he could catch up with the carnival before it left town. So uh, there was a guy who ended up in the hospital when the show was in Baltimore and a heat wave passed through. Uh, a manager was robbed of $300. So it was just like, it was their really seriously unlucky year. 1918 for this circus was what 2020 was for many of us. Fair. <laughs> Fair. It was their 2020. So another even worse fire in 1919 uh, happened, and there were uh, four of the attractions were completely destroyed. Those were uh, the Hawaiian Village, the Dog and Pony Circus, the Palace of Mystery, and, quote, the canvas theater in which the fat girls appear. In ads, this was called Howard's Congress of Fat Girls. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. That's, yep, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, uh, this did $18,000 in damage, and with no insurance, that seems like it was kind of a, a rough hit to sustain. But the circus kept going. That's what the circus does. We get punches and murder charges and dudes losing feet and getting shot and fires. And the circus just keeps on rolling. Keep on going. If you get shot, we're leaving you behind. <laughs> you better escape the hospital at 4 a.m. to catch up with us. We're not coming to get you. You and your bullet in your leg. But big drama was yet to come. And boy, would it be big. So in 1922, circus is wintering in New Jersey. The Brunin household, they had some trouble. It was not going great. Uh, they were so troubled in this household that Doris talked frequently about how she could kill Honest John and get away with it. Talked about it to him. Yeah, and, and to his daughter even. Yeah, like, yeah. Everybody hates your father. Don't be surprised if he ends up dead. Exactly, yeah. And his, Hazel was like 17, 18 at the time. Elizabeth Hazel, like, oh my gosh. There was, there was a lot going on here. But just the fact that she would just bring it up or something. I mean, it, it could have been brought up in, in arguments. But I choose to believe that it just, at least once she was like, hey, honey. Let's, actually, let's, let's, let's role play this. Let's, okay. let's put this. Let's put our acting skills to good use. Hey, honey. Hi. You know, I could kill you and I would totally get away with it. Just have to figure out how. Do you want to be shot? Poisoned? Uh, hung? <laughs> Hanged? <laughs> I see, I imagine her more like, hey, John, you want me to make you coffee? There'll be arsenic in it. <laughs> and he's like, no, sweetheart, it's fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to make myself a cup of tea and then um, uh, go like a thousand miles away because <laughs> you're scary. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if there was, like, a, a line of tape halfway through the house. That, like, this is my half. This is your half. I will leave you alone if you leave me alone. Yeah, they uh, they, they did an 80s sitcom sharing a bedroom. Yeah. They <laughs> I, I feel like that's probably where their marriage was at. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It, yeah, it was bad. It was very, very bad. Um, he wrote a letter to his sister that someone in his household was, quote, figuring to do away with me and think she can get free. She talks about it all the time. So not only did she talk about it, but she talked about it all the time. 
Yeah, and he was very much aware that that she wanted him dead. Oh, yeah, he knew. He knew. He wrote, like, a long... That letter he wrote to his sister was very long and was almost, like, obsessed. Like, understandably, I'm going to say obsessed about it. But, yes, if somebody kept on talking to me about how they could kill me and, and would get away with it, yeah, I think I'd get a little obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be just a little bit distracting, I would think. So, yeah. And uh, in, in early winter... He talked to County Detective Ellis Parker, who apparently was pretty, pretty big as far as detectiving went back then. We're going to do the Hall Mills murder sometime soon here as the anniversary of it comes up. And um, he was involved in that, too. Uh, he talked to County Detective Ellis Parker and showed him a list of names of people who he thought were planning to kill him. I think the whole entire list was just my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. Well, no, because he still had, like, the lineman's family. Yeah, yeah. He had... The thing about this is he had been all over the place. And when you're all over the place, uh, you uh, you meet a lot of people. And some of them you might alienate. And some of them you might make want to kill you. So there there was quite a list. And there there also might have been some gambling in there and possibly crossed the wrong guy or whatever. So, yeah. So, his own daughter uh, said that her dad was prone to anger. Quote, I know father was subject to such fits of violent anger that he did not know what he was writing when he composed the letter. So even she is kind of, like, denying that Doris actually was on this constant, you know, tirade about how she was going to kill him and get away with it. That's strange to me. She she really didn't like him, but I guess there's there's an explanation for that. Yeah, there's some history there. There's it's not it's not pretty, let's just say, but it's fascinating. And kind of funny. Oh my god. So, um Hazel, this isn't the typical step parent issues that you would expect. The issue was maybe actually Doris, the stepmother, being too supportive of things that Hazel wanted, at least from John's point of view. So what Hazel wanted was the lion tamer. She thought that he had the largest organ in the world. And so her father said, no, 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 no. You're not going to see this man. No. Called him in one letter to uh, to his sister. Called, called him a tramp. <laughs> and, he hired him. Yeah, right? Dude, seriously. Uh, but Doris, uh, she, she really liked the idea of uh, her stepdaughter marrying this dude. And she seemed to help them elope. Uh... <laughs> Honest John had that annulled and had the tamer arrested. And it seemed like possibly this is when he discovered uh, his wife's other shenanigans. Some of them. Some of them. He tracked down the lion tamer and Hazel. And the, there had been a big rift when Doris told John, like, hey, help your daughter get married to that dude you don't like. You know, um, nah, 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 I guess. And so she had left after that rift. He tracked them down and he found Hazel living with the lion tamer along with her stepmother, Doris, and Doris's lover, Doc Ward, the superintendent of the circus. Oh, he's also called in one article the Ballyhoo Man. Ballyhoo Man. I have no idea. I didn't even look it up because I just want to enjoy it. The Ballyhoo Man. 
So, yeah, that's quite, uh, that, that's a bad day. <laughs> that's a rough day. So, yeah, that, that was not pretty. And uh, she went under a fake name, and they would exchange letters. Uh, her fake name was Mrs. Nolan. I love that even under her, her fake name, she's married. <laughs> I did notice that, and I was like, all right, I mean, that's a choice. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. So, Honest John did seem to know about this, and Doc Ward didn't seem to be backing off. He actually gave Doris a Christmas present in 1921, and uh, this did not go over very well with Honest John, as one might imagine. So, uh, they had a little holiday gunfight, as you do. As you do. Totally normal. Very festive. Um, it's it's uh, after the feats of strength. <laughs> Festivus for the rest of us. But before the airing of grievances, because I feel like this was part of the airing of grievances. Well, uh, well, I feel I feel that the way that this develops is that they had the airing of grievances first, and then the shooting because it seemed natural. But then whoever got shot would hold on to that grievance, and they'd have to hold on to it for another full year. They were like, no, 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 let's do the shooting. And then we'll do the airing of grievances so that the one who shot can air that grievance. That way we'll all feel better. Makes perfect sense to me, yes. Yes, this is a wonderful holiday. So, yeah. Um, first, Honest John shot at Doris, but most of the shots missed. One did hit her. This was explained a couple different ways. Um, some accounts said it uh, ricocheted off of a corset steel, like one of the... They used to be bones, and then they were like just like rods that held the corset and, you know, the organs in. Um, a, a couple articles said she was wearing a bulletproof corset. Yeah, I saw that, the bulletproof corset thing. Either way, it either hit part of the, the corset that was bulletproof, mm -hmm. or she actually had a bulletproof corset. I really want to know if bulletproof corsets are a thing, and then maybe I'll consider bringing them back, because that's pretty fucking handy. Well, I did fall down the bulletproof corset rabbit hole. Of course we did. Uh, not too far down, but I, I did find that around this time also uh, they were buying them for the New York City police to wear. Uh, so basically like bulletproof vests, but maybe more of a girdle <laughs> or corset style, I guess. Bulletproof girdle. Yeah. Doesn't have a great ring to it, but... Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> one of the papers that had some commentary about this said... Uh, Somehow, we can't help wondering whether the bulletproof steel corsets for New York policemen lace up with barbed wire or what. <laughs> kind of hot. <laughs> I knew you would like that. I'm like, ow, that hurts. So he shot her. He didn't get her. She shot him. Tis but a flesh wound. He's okay. The police come and they're like, I mean, you're... You both shot each other. You're basically even. And we can start from scratch here. Clean the slate. Wipe it off. We cool? Let's move on. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Festivus. Um, but then uh, three months later, he was shot again, and that one took. That one really took. Uh, so it was 7 p.m. on March 10th. He had had dinner with his mother-in-law, who lived with the family, uh, his daughter, and Doris. There is something weird with all the in-law situations situationships going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's hilarious that Doris and Hazel are like besties. I think, yeah, that is, that is weird. Um, it's 
interesting, I think, that almost all the newspapers referred to Doris as Hazel's mother. Mm -hmm. And the woman whose name we don't even know that he was married to originally and then abandoned for Doris, she's never mentioned. Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy, you have it. Okay, good. All right, cool. Don't know her last name. All I got was Dorothy. So a Dorothy and then Doris. Mm Wow. 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 <laughs> Man has a very specific type. <laughs> First name must start with D O R. Oh, Dorcas would be uh, his next wife. So, although I did actually find a fun bit about Doris. Okay. Doris was also married before. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think I realized that. At least according to one source, she was married to an actor who had left her and moved to China. That's a choice. I mean, if you really, really want to get out of a relationship, that's essentially precisely what you do. Well, and you know what? If that's how they fight, I can understand why both spouses were never seen or heard from again. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like, Dorothy was probably like, you know what? I'm not doing another Christmas with you. (laughs) Every single year you get that damn gun out. You shot my turkey last year. It was dead already and cooked and you shot it. Like, no, this is just, this does not sound like a pleasant environment for anyone. I feel like both of them have some pretty severe anger issues and nobody wanted to ride that train anymore. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That riding device. Uh, so. <laughs> I've been thinking about riding devices ever since you said it. Yes, of course you have. So he had dinner. And with the family, then Doris's mother and Hazel went to a picture show after that. And Honest John went into the kitchen where he sat with his back to the window and started reading the paper. That's when someone shot him through the window with a 12-gauge shotgun. Uh, A man ran to a getaway car, jumped in. Doris herself reported that to the police. Uh, She had been on the second floor when the shooting occurred. When the police arrived, um, for some reason, it took her like half an hour to call them. I can't think of why, what she was thinking or trying to stall for. Uh, She told the police that she thought it was a suicide. And they were like, "Mm, no, I don't think that he shot himself in the back of the head from outside the window. You can tell which way the glass goes, you know? Yeah, well, and and regardless of his circus skills, I don't <laughs> think that that is really a possible suicide. No, no, not at all. It seems very silly to even attempt that as a, an ex- explanation. It just, no, very, very silly. Dumb doors. So there were signs that a woman had been at the scene, ladies' shoe prints below the window, and a man's shoe prints. Now, those actually led to the road, where they also and they also found the bullets, um, the cartridges in a field near the house. Uh, don't murder when it's muddy, people. I don't know how many times we have to tell you this. Don't do a murder when it's muddy. Old timey, crimey rules of murder. <laughs> and, well, there were also some some tells with the animals. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. That that something was going on. So Doris had a dog named Snooky. <laughs> Which is there in New Jersey. There's just 
Oh my god, yes, yes. I'm sorry, I got a huge kick out of that. So Snooky was normally outside in the yard. That's where Snooky stayed. Well, yes, that is where Snooky should stay. Out in the yard. But before this happened, Snooky got moved to the basement where the monkeys were. Oh, I did not catch that the monkeys were down there. Interesting. Oh yeah, there were there were monkeys in the basement. And um so <gasps> this, what a crazy household. The story goes both Doris and Honest John, at different points that day before this, had gone to check on the monkeys in the basement. There was also a talking parrot. Mm-hmm. And the parrot was in the room where John was killed. Normally. Normally. Yeah. But the parrot was moved out of the room before John was killed because it's a talking parrot, and whoever killed John probably was known to the parrot. Yes, so the parrot would be able to snitch. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> or, you know, preemptively move to another room to prevent them from snitching. The snitching parrot, I love it. This household is just so wild. I lo- Literally, literally wild. Literally wild. And I also don't understand why you even moved the bird. You could just put, like, the blanket over the birdcage and birds just go to sleep. Yeah, and it also, like, it's not like the bird would have hurt anything. Because this happened from outside the house. Yeah, but it also would have tipped off the, the, at least John, it would have tipped off if you put the blanket on the birdcage, I guess. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that early. But John, like most men, are not super observant. And so animals can be moved to different places without them noticing. That is, yeah, they can. (laughs) It's like, oh, well, didn't there used to be a parrot in here? Nah, must have been my imagination. I feel like that's something like... Most people would notice, though, is, like, the dog's not outside like it is every single night, and the bird is not in here with me like it is every single night. What's going on? Yeah, you would think, but apparently, I mean, if he did notice, it wasn't something that, I guess, really raised any red flags for him. Or if it did, he decided he he just ignored them. Or maybe he thought Doris was just fucking with them and, like, moving all the animals around. Oh, yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah. So, yeah, there was some weirdness with the animals. Then Hazel told them about how Doris had said, hey, you know, by the way, somebody might call you sometime and say, oh, your dad's been killed. Just a heads up. They heard, you know, this story from Hazel and they're like, hmm, gee whiz. I wonder if the person who tried to convince us that this was a suicide might uh, bear some more looking at. So uh, before that... They did say that she was a suspect right from the start, which makes sense, but they also had other theories, and these theories are fun. Uh, William Desmond Taylor had been murdered just about five weeks before Honest John was. We did an episode on William Desmond Taylor sometime in the first, I want to say, year of the podcast. And so the police were like, well, maybe somebody had Honest John murdered to keep him quiet. Because he knew who murdered William Desmond Taylor. Which I guess they were supposedly friends. They had, or had acquaintances at least had knew, knew each other through show business. And Taylor had also been shot to death at home. So there was that similarity. They were both um, honest. John was, I think, 60. Yes. Yes. And uh, William Desmond Taylor was around 50. So kind of like similar target. I had Honest John as being closer to 50. I had him at 49. 
He was born in 1872, um, 30 years. No, you're right, you're right, 50, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, around the same exact age. So there's that. And uh, there was also uh, questions about a little drag race he had apparently been in earlier. Uh, a few, uh, this is, this is some, an example of writing is what I'm going to call this. How good are uh, a few hours before his brains were scattered by a heavy charge from a shotgun fired at close range through the kitchen window of his home, he had run a close motor car race with unnamed parties from Riverton to his way home. He was on his way from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. That's where my husband's from. I really want to know where he gets the energy to do all this. They apparently kept a lot of the circus there, even though it was also wintering in... Uh, another town, like, nearby town in New Jersey. So I don't fully understand why the circus was in, like, multiple different places. I don't know. But yes, I do wonder where he gets the energy because he's, he's like, going out to Williamsport, like, every day to start prepping for the this, this spring season and then having drag races on the way home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have that the, the circus winter quarters was about 20 miles away from his home in Williamstown, New Jersey. Yeah. But then some of the other carnies and stuff might have been kind of scattered about. Must have been, yeah, something like that. So there was also the fact that, like I mentioned earlier, or like we mentioned earlier, he's traveling all over the country. He's meeting people here and there and everywhere, sometimes pissing people off. Uh, according to Ellis Parker, they had over 400 suspects. Yeah, no, there were a ton. There yeah. were a ton. A lot. Um, I, I have, well, they knew Doris because Doris apparently... Made it freaking obvious. <laughs> she actually at one point said that she lived the life of a slave with him for 13 years because she was the chief cook for all the circus hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she was super bitter about that. And then... I mean, she went from being a performer to being the cook, and there's nothing wrong with being the cook, but she seems like the kind of personality that would really enjoy the attention of performing. Yeah. Well, and then you also have the lion tamer that his daughter was not allowed to marry. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Gus Werner that Brunin had recently fired. Um, there was another circus person, uh, Dutchie the Chef. Another circus person, Ben Franklin. Who was a, a Baltimore advance agent that he also fired? Actually, um, I did read that that was actually literally Ben Franklin. And uh, Are he, you serious? He had a time machine. And oh. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm, I'm really working on my deadpan. <laughs> well, I was thinking it was like a descendant or something. I'm like, wait, like... Like a relation of that would be that would be neat, but no, I was I, of course if, if if anybody had a time machine, Ben Franklin, but he most likely would have used that to go like bang some more chicks in France or something. Yeah, yeah, and then of course the the family of uh, Spitzky. Yeah, yeah, you know we didn't get to hear literally anything from them, so uh, being kind of silenced also is uh, painful, and just make sure your kind of psychological wounds fester. So, and shooting him after he had shot Frank Svitsky, kind of, you know, eye for an eye. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a lot to look for. Um, but, you know, they heard some of the shit Doris had pulled lately and they were like, yeah, okay, we know, we know who to look at. So it took about six weeks, but finally someone came forward or was pulled forward, we should say. 
And it actually took less time for her to sell the house than it did for them to find somebody. She had that house sold by the end of March. He was murdered on the 10th of March. So that's impressive. That's some quick frickin' real estate is what that is. Yeah. yeah. So Charles Powell, a carny with uh, the Mighty Doris Carnival, he was 31. He confessed to the murder and said that Doris's brother, Harry Moore, had paid him $600 to commit it. Um, Harry had also been the getaway driver. And in addition, he was a business manager for the carnival because in this circus, we keep it in the family. Well, and it was his dad's. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, we keep it in the family. <laughs> Look at this. It's a whole family operation. We circus together. We murder together. Um, so I did a have A family to... that slays together stays together. <laughs> right. So I did have to laugh. Uh, the, the Daily News, the, the modern version of it, has, um, has an article... Uh, about this particular case, and uh, there was a caption on Harry Moore's picture that accidentally used an H instead of an M. <laughs> Harry Whore. Harry Whore. I was so upset when I realized that that was a typo and wasn't his actual name. <laughs> like, oh man, I wanted to say Harry Whore a whole bunch. <laughs> that would have been fun. That would have been hilarious. So there's this confession. Charles Powell says... I did it. Harry Moore drove me. Um, but one might, might, might have some questions about this particular confession. Considering that it was elicited after Charles Powell was, uh, well, the newspapers call it being secretly arrested and held in jail for three weeks. I call it kidnapping. That kind of sounds like kidnapping to me. That's super kidnappy. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, he did seem like the kind of guy who would eventually do or say what you wanted him to do or say if you were just stubborn enough. He told police that Harry had been trying to get him to kill Honest John Brunin since the previous fall. Quote, he kept hounding me for five months to do this job. He said Harry had told him he wanted Brunin killed because he was getting on the nerves of the women folk. Mm-hmm. With that being... Doris, Hazel, and Doris's mother. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's cute. Um, and uh, another version of the story has Doris recruiting Charles Powell herself, saying, quote, I hope somebody comes to my house and shoots my husband while he is sitting at the window. Which is a little bit more specific than uh, the, the, the other classic uh, line that, that elicited, uh, inspired a murder. Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Yeah, when a king says that, you just got to go kill, like, a, a cardinal? I think it was cardinal. So, in the intervening months between when, you know, Harry started talking to Powell about the murder and the actual murder, they really staked out the house. They would go there all the time, and I think it was kind of like dry runs. And the night before the murder, Harry actually brought Powell to the house and then hid the gun and the shells in the garage. That's ballsy. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, it's a choice. You have to go into the garage to get the murder weapon. Well, and I feel like Powell really didn't want to do this, so he kept making excuses. 
And so I think every one of these dry runs were to find out what excuse you could come up with and then find a way around it. Yeah. Well, what if my wife sees me leave the house with a gun? Okay, well, the, your, the wife won't see you leave the house with a gun because it's already here. Yeah, yeah. Or also to, to sort of normalize it. Like, oh, this is just what we do at night. We, we go to uh, Honest John's house and lurk out in the bushes. And um, it's totally normal. Well, and think about it from the neighbor's perspective, too, because you see that same car almost every night. You start to think somebody on the block has a, a, a friend. You know, you, it becomes familiar. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it doesn't stand out. It's not anything weird or new or special. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe somebody lives down there. Yeah. So, I mean, it does make sense, but still. Uh, they then pulled up in front of the house for the murder. Powell said that Harry gave him a bottle of whiskey, about half a pint. And um, Powell drank it all. He then went to the garage, got the gun, and went to the window. Pulled the trigger, and he later said... In his confession, as soon as I shot him, I turned and ran and started to take the gun apart. I lost a piece of it on the lot, and the two shells fell out. Well, yes, don't try to take apart a gun while you're running, doofus. Maybe not the best time, yeah. No, 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 no. Priorities, man. Priorities. So, there were the sources that said he was supposed to get the 600 that he got, and other sources said he was supposed to get 1,000. Um, he reported that he got, like, kind of in drips and drabs. The, the morning after the murder... Harry gave him $50 and told him to go clean himself up. I mean, he did this from outside. It wasn't like he was, like, bloody or anything. So that that seems kind of like a dig. Yeah, it's (laughs) like, you look like shit, man. Go get a shower. Right? And then the Monday following the murder, Harry gave him $100. And then over the winter period, he had given, you know, in, in drips and drabs, had given him $200. With the pro- and and a promise of a good job with the carnival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because such a thing apparently exists. So there was uh, some, some questions and some back and forth as to uh, motive and money. And specifically how much money. Um, Doris's lawyer denied reports that Honest John had been wealthy, calling them ridiculous. They said that the estate consisted of half the interest in the circus, $18,000 in cash, and a $2,000 life insurance policy with Doris as the beneficiary. But the police said that this estate was worth $100,000. So that's two very different ideas. I, um, my chronic pain's been pretty bad lately, so I did not look up. You guys know, it's it's more money today, all right? You know that. <laughs> it is much more money today. Yes. Every day, literally. <laughs> so uh, the trial was a, uh, a big deal. I'm not saying it. Was it the trial of the century? Um, no, try, try a little more on the nose. Here, I'll give you this. This this is from the Daily News article by David uh, Krajicek. Typical of the era, the proceeding was a big top spectacle. The trial was a circus. The trial was a circus. (laughs) I thought of that joke before I read that in the article, I would like to say. And then I was like, that's even beneath me. I can't say it. Not without... But you can. Well, I did, yes. But it's... That's right, part right of now, the joke. It is very much okay for this trial to be a circus. <laughs> Let's interview the monkeys. 
under the big top of the courthouse. Yes, let's... We need monkeys as witnesses. Oh, God, I wish. I wish. I wish you kept that damn parrot in the room. Right? And then they they bring up all the monkeys from the basement to be like, well, Doris said that she was down there feeding the monkeys. If she fed the monkeys, why didn't they poop the next day? <laughs> I think Doris is telling a fib. I think if you got 100 monkeys and gave them typewriters, then eventually they would write these trial transcripts. <laughs> so, uh, well, maybe that's who they hired. They need a new gig. Yeah, the right. house was sold. They had no home. Yeah, yeah. We're circus. We're a circus thing, you know? Like, give us some typewriters or something. So, the trial, uh, this is a, another line from David Krajicek that I enjoyed. Uh, gave the world a glimpse of the shabby reality behind the glittering circus tinsel. So, Powell, as part of his whole confession deal, he took a plea for the murder. So Doris and Harry were put on trial together, but separate from Powell, in December 1922. And Powell, of course, had to testify against them in exchange for his plea deal, which really was not that sweet of a deal anyhow, but I, I guess. Um, Hazel, it seemed like they're... Hazel kind of flipped over to the other side at some point during all this. Maybe listening to all the evidence against her stepmother. It was just like, wow. <laughs> and um, she denounced her stepmother from the stand. I don't know the details of what she said, but it was enough to make Harry and Doris's lawyer collapse from nervous strain. Do you have it? I have some of it. Uh, let me see. The flamboyantly dressed Hazel testified for the prosecution. She said that Doris had told her people were out to kill her father. She should not be surprised. And then the trial got lively. Hazel pointed at Doris and said, she murdered my father. Harry yelled out, you lie. And Bessie Moore screamed, you're a liar, Hazel. Be careful, you tramp. I picked you up out of the gutter. Bessie Moore, I believe, is uh, Doris's mother. Yes. Wow. Yes. And um, as she was escorted out of the courtroom, Bessie shouted, I'll get her! <laughs> Which wow. is when the defense attorney nearly collapsed because now the mother of Doris and Harry is <laughs> threatening to murder Hazel in the courtroom. I, I was going to say, imagine what the holidays must be like with this family, but we already know that it's like an afternoon at the OK Frickin' Corral. <laughs> You know, <laughs> wow, this family is drama and extra and messy, messy bitches, messy bitches. Um, so, yeah, wow, I'm so glad you had that. Uh, and then Doris took the stand. Doris, you drama llama. Oh, my gosh, of course she took the stand when they brought up. Any, you know, what part she might have played in the murder. She said, I have never in my life talked about killing my husband. I loved him. And literally everyone who ever knew her was like, you, you lying bitch. Yeah, you talked about it constantly, all the time, every day. It was your favorite topic. Some people have small talk. Oh, hey, check out this weather. Oh, you know, like, how about them Packers? Doris has, so I'm going to murder my husband. He's such a son of a bitch. I can't wait to kill him. And I'm totally going to get away with it. You know it. I know it. We all know it. <laughs> Jesus. 
And then when they tried to get her to talk about her affair with Doc Ward, she was just, you know, memory just holes, holes all through it. She couldn't remember a thing. I don't, I don't remember anything. I don't know what you're talking about. The prosecutor called her, quote, the most wonderful actress who ever sat in the witness chair. Oh, I just found something else I didn't, I didn't catch originally. Miss Bessie Moore. Uh-huh. She was a snake charmer in the show. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I missed that the first go round. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Wow. Quite the family. Oh, my gosh. There's so much just a wealth of material to work with here. That is beautiful. That is very beautiful. She was a snake charmer, the world's largest organ, bone soloists. It's just been innuendo after innuendo tonight. <laughs> and I love it. So, um, it got to the point where the, do you have anything else on the trial that you want to bring up? Nope, that is, uh, that's about okay. it for me. Yeah, I just picked some highlights. Um, the judge went to give the jury their instructions, and uh, he was pretty obvious which way he was leaning, let's just say that, because he told them that the t testimony against Doris was meager. I mean, really, essentially what they had, aside from her constantly talking about how she wanted to kill her husband, was she, the shade in the kitchen was raised, which allowed the gunman to see and shoot Honest John. Uh, who raised that? Oh, uh, Doris. Why'd she raise it? Oh, ostensibly to signal that it was time to shoot Honest John. Yeah. So there is that. But yeah, he said the testimony against her was meager, and he said that Harry's alibi would have been easily fabricated. So he's pretty obviously uh, saying one party innocent, one party not so much. Uh, the alibi was just that he was in Philadelphia. And uh, so the judge also told the jury there is no middle ground here. I mean, there kind of is, but he says you either acquit them or find them guilty of murder in the first degree. But the middle ground would be that there could be separate verdicts. They could be different verdicts. It doesn't have, it's not one size fits all. And the jury saw it his way. They deliberated for, all right, everybody, uh, get your guesses in. A three hours. <laughs> so, yeah. It took three times as long to set Doris free for killing her husband as the other jury took to set Honest John free for killing a carpenter. And uh, so Doris was free. Uh, just five days before Christmas was when the verdict came out. Uh, Harry did not have such a merry Christmas. Uh, he would be celebrating Festivus for the rest of us in jail. <laughs> for, uh, if he was in for the full term, for about 30 of them. 30 Festivuses. Festivuses. So Doris did not react well to this. She grabbed her brother's hand and cried, Oh, Harry! Oh, Harry! And then, of course, say it with me, folks, she fainted. Of course she did. Of course she did. She hit her head on a chair in the process, so I kind of don't think that was actually faked. Um, and, oh, yeah, by the way, Harry was married. His wife seemed pretty sad at the verdict, but he didn't really show any emotion. Uh, Doris, when asked, you know, you just got uh, acquitted of your husband's murder, what are you going to do next? She told the newspaper she had a couple of plans. 
Uh, she wanted to open a Mexican tea room, either in New York or in Philadelphia. And that would be what she would do when she wasn't working towards getting her brother freed from prison. Yeah, well, and I don't think the brother's wife was super sad because I, I guess some of what came out during trials alluded to the fact that he was maybe sleeping around on his wife mm -hmm. on top of it. And, and she was like very kind of like quiet and timid. But in her head, she's like, good, put him away, motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, she was only like briefly mentioned and just said that mm -hmm. she was crying, which could have been, could have been tears of joy. <laughs> oh, finally, it's going to be gone. So, I don't know, okay, uh, on December 28th, just days after the trial ended, there is the headline, Fire Destroyed Circus. And that was the, uh, of course, the Mighty Doris Circus. And it was probably the Mighty Doris that did it for the insurance money. I would be shocked if it wasn't. Because she doesn't want to run the circus. The plan was for her and her brother to run the circus together. And now that her brother is in jail, well, she doesn't want to run the circus. She can't wait 30 years to run the circus. So just burn that bitch down, take the money, and run. Yeah, the loss was estimated to be $150,000 when it, the, the circus burned down uh, near Belleville, Illinois on December 28th. So interesting. She does have a flair for the dramatics come Christmas time. Yes, she really does. Christmas is just when she puts on her extra and goes to town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Charles Powell was tried separately. He got a sentence of 20 years. It was really more of a, se a sentencing than a full-on trial. Uh, within just a few months, he would be transferred to the Trenton Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Meanwhile, Doris sold whatever was left of the circus after the uh, totally an accident fire and went, I'm, I'm sorry, I know things burned a lot back then because a lot of stuff was made of wood, but this is the second fire that we know of in the circus's history in just like three years. Yeah, years, I, I really kind of feel like it was Doris both times. Yeah, yeah, she, she has some patterns. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, she sold what was left of it, um, went to live with her sister in Philadelphia. Harry, brother Harry, appealed the verdict, and this went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1925. And the Supreme Court affirmed the judgment, so he was staying locked up. And then they kind of fade away, for the most part, from... They fade away from the, the media of the day. But I did find... Messages posted on circushistory.org. Did you see these? I was actually just looking at those uh, earlier when you were talking because I, I thought of something to look up and I found that website. I'm like, God damn it, why didn't I find this before? <laughs> it was like the very last thing that I found. And I was like, okay, research complete. So there are posts dating from like the mid-aughts or whatever the hell we're calling that time period. Um, better days at this point. <laughs> would be accurate. So several people posted on there who have at some point known people in this case or were descended from. It, like, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. It's a wonderful, wonderful post. Um, one poster said that they knew Doris in the 1940s. She was living in Westfield, New Jersey. They apparently also knew Harry then. 
So he must have gotten paroled at some point during that time period. Yes. So uh, as far as that goes, according to the 1930 census, he was still in New Jersey State Prison. Okay. All right. But then in 1942, he was living in New Jersey and had his sister Doris, who had gone back to her maiden name, as a resident in Mountainside, New Jersey. So by 1942, both brother and sister were living in Jersey. Nice find. Excellent. That's a little bit better than random people posting on circushistory.org, as much as I appreciate it. It's nice to, it's nice to see actual like records instead of people with like, you know, there's no screen names or anything. Yeah, but they were very much like disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um somebody else uh said that Charles Powell had died in a car accident at some point, so he must have gotten out of the um, asylum. Um, this person who posted that identifies himself as Charles Powell's grandchild and uh, said that both Powell and his wife worked in the circus, so that was another circus family. Um, Charles Powell was, uh, you know, like I think helped with like set up and tear down of tents, something to do with tents. And the grandmother, was the lady who goes in the box and then the swords get stuck through it. Oh, neat. Isn't that delightful? And uh, the grand niece or nephew of the lion tamer that Hazel married also posted there. Oh. It's like a, the weirdest family reunion you've ever seen. <laughs> Descendants and relations and people who knew the circus folk that were involved in this murder. <laughs> like, it's absolutely insane. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's I think that's a lovely, lovely place to land. Yeah, and um, just in case anyone was wondering, I don't believe that Mighty Doris ever did make that tea room. Yeah, I don't believe so either. Okay, so I have a recipe. Okay, this is uh, in the Nashville Banner in 1924. And there's the question being asked of readers, have you ever made an orange potato pie? And first I was like, oh, maybe they're talking about like sweet potatoes? Yeah. Nope. Orange <laughs> and potato? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, uh, our ingredients here. We're going to gather them together on our old-timey kitchen counter. Sugar, flour, grated orange rind, grated raw potato, orange juice, lemon juice, egg yolks, too, uh, a few grains of salt, I guess that's a pinch, I suppose, uh, two stiffly beaten egg whites, and then also sugar for meringue. Mix the sugar, flour, orange rind, grated potato, and orange juice. Cook over boiling water until thick, stirring constantly. Cook and cover 10 minutes. Add the egg yolks slightly beaten and cook until they thicken the mixture. This will take about two minutes. Remove from the heat and add the lemon juice and salt and cool. Pour into a baked pie crust. Add the sugar slowly to the beaten egg whites and when smooth and glossy, spread over the top of the filling. Bake in a moderate oven until delicately browned. Okay, so that's like, to me that sounds a lot like a kind of a lemon meringue pie kind of vibe and they're using the potato as a starch. Sure, sure. What's normally the starch in uh, lemon meringue pie? I don't know. I'm terribly allergic. Oh, yeah. Well, that would make sense. So yeah. I, it's not a thing that I make often. But, like, I'm in my head, and it makes sense to me. It's like, 
All right, so maybe this is a, a time that like cornstarch and baking soda and baking powder and all that aren't really readily available. Mm -hmm. And so we use the potato in place of that and it would save on the, the flour a little bit too, I would think. And it's really just like a bland foil. Yeah, sure. I guess. I've actually seen potatoes in dessert before and it's not bad. Because okay. it is, if, if you don't put salt and pepper on it, it's nothing like a french fry, especially if you're going to grate it or blend it. It's just kind of a, a thickener. Think of like using potato flakes to help thicken up a cake. Yeah. Okay. All right. I see. I see. It just seems like a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a new, new idea for me, I guess. So it really, uh, really drew me in because I was like, what, what's, I just, it was different than what I assumed. I just assumed maybe they didn't call them sweet potatoes yet because for God's sakes, the word clue is spelled C-L-E-W. <laughs> kidnapped was kidnapped. I do I do enjoy a good kidnapping. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, crime was C R Y M E. One of those three is untrue. Um, but you I like crimey. <laughs> yeah, crimey. <laughs> Oldie timey crimey. <laughs> I once again today ran across the um, toast sandwich, which just always destroys me. I don't understand. Bread I, with toast with bread with maybe some butter. Yeah, yeah. Salt, salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. Yeah, yeah. Um, commonly given to invalids. Uh, but I guess also just like, you know, some some Brits love it. Not yet. So, all right. That's, um, that's a carnival case. And that's a recipe. And I, uh, I have some stuff to do with this case, I think. I think I need to do something with it. And I, I have We ideas. have more rabbit hole, rab, rabbit halls, rabbit halls. Then you can stick a large organ in. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have more rabbit holes to fall down yeah. and shove large organs into. Yeah. That's how we got Numidia. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we've come full circle, we are done for the day, ladies and gents. Absolutely. Um, don't forget about the Patreon uh, there are also other ways you can support us in the episode notes. Just take a look at there. There's links galore. And um, yeah, that's really all I have for today. This has been one of my favorite episodes already so far. Um, so I can't wait to edit this. <laughs> well, and honestly, so I just for the viewers out there, um, I had gotten Christy a Christmas present that she's drinking out of, and it's making me giggle the entire time. <laughs> it is a Jeffrey Dahmer mug that says, you're looking like a real snack. Today, for some reason, is Amber gift day. I don't know what happened, but I, I poured the coffee, and then I was trying to find a shirt to wear. I put this one shirt on, and I was like, well, uh, that used to not be skin tight. <laughs> And I was not comfortable. I was like, oh, here's a nice loose shirt. And it's my um, Not Lebanese shirt. Blanche. Yes, it has, uh, it has Dorothy on it. And it says, not Lebanese Blanche, which if you know, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was that was one of the white elephant gifts, because hilariously enough, Christy and Jackson got the white elephant gifts that I brought over. Yep, yep. Makes sense. It does. <laughs> it, it follows, Because yeah. there is also a lovely drawing that's in our studio of uh, Chickalis Cage. Chickalis Cage. I still need to get that framed one of these days. Which is Nicholas Cage head on a chicken body. It's delightful and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yes, that is all of our stuff. Uh, what you doing this week? I don't fucking know. Um, oh, yeah, I do know. You do. <laughs> I am going out of town for work for a couple days. Okay. So that is a thing that I am doing. 
Um, so that should be exhausting and fun and hopefully not as exciting as last time that I had to travel for work when I got ran off the road by an oversized load 18-wheeler. That was a time. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. So hopefully this trip goes much, much better. Absolutely, yes. And um, and I get home, I get there and back safely. What are you doing this week? Um, I'm currently waiting on some test results, so that's a little anxiety-provoking. But there's, like, a very good chance that everything will turn out okay. So, um, at least that's my understanding. So I'm not as anxious as I thought I would be, which is nice. And um, I'm going to be reading about some circus folk. I'm probably going to go look at that, that circus.org thing because awesome that looked website. interesting. Yeah, yeah, excellent website. So, so yeah, I'm going to be reading about some circus folk. I've, got, I've started a little book list. Actually, I should put all the books for the circus stuff uh, that I could find are not available on Scribd, which is what I use a lot for, for ebooks and stuff. And so I guess I'll put them on the Amazon.com um, old-timey crimey wish book list. list. Wish list, yeah. So, if so it, we have a wish list, everybody, in case you did not know about this. So if you want to buy us books, you can dictate the next case we're going to do. Buy us a book. We'll read it. And we'll tell you all about it. Yes. Our, our, our lovely listener, Paul, uh, he got us three books. I still need to um, take a look at one of them. It's It's a longer one, so I'm like waiting until I can really attack that thing because when I when I read the books especially like the physical copy I go nutso I've got my highlighter and I've got my little post-it notes and the entire book just gets like just covered and so so yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun time but yes you, and in this case possibly it would be something if, if you, you buy the circus things possibly it would be something we do an episode on if not, um, I think you'll hear more about it in the future. I like to hope, at least. So. I'm being purposely vague. Christy has ideas that she's not sharing just <laughs> yet. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, yeah, that is our show uh, and our week. Traveling and test results and circus folk. So uh, we hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And thank you for spending this time with us. And um, I already said it. Don't murder when it's don't murder when it's muddy. Yeah, that's that's probably a good one. Um, or I I don't even know. I I I'm hung up on the monkeys in the basement. I really that just kind of breaks my brain. How many monkeys were in the basement? I would really like to know that very very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't keep monkeys in the basement. That I guess sounds like a weird riddle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Show me your largest organ. <laughs> I don't know what today's lesson is, guys. I don't. Oh, oh man, that guy's so sexy. He's got monkeys in the basement. Right? <laughs> I don't is, even is that like, know. Hey, baby, you want to come back to my place? I got some monkeys in my basement. I got a bone soloist just for you. <laughs> World's largest organ. And it doesn't have Numidia, so... All right, we're done now. Yes, we have to be done. Okay. Um, bye! Bye! Sources. Sources! Sources! New York Daily News by David Krajicic. I think it's Krajicic would sure. be my best guess. Whatever. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Garden State Legacy by Joseph Bilby. And newspapers that I spelled wrong. <laughs> Newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia. And I didn't even write what newspapers. <laughs> I spelled newspapers incorrectly 
and wrote, thank you, Chris Garcia, instead of any actual newspaper. <laughs> You're having a great week. Uh, my sources were Master Detective, The Life and Crimes of Ellis Parker, America's Real-Life Sherlock Holmes by John Reisinger, Daily News by David J. Kradjicek, uh, the Guinness Book of Records site, History Daily by Jacob Shelton, and like a bunch of newspapers from newspapers.com. Like seriously, hardcore thank you, Chris Garcia, because I got like 15. Because again, I'm having some fun with this case. He talked to words. Oh, snappy looking whoopee snooper.